We now turn to Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 557 of your Book of Praise. There we focus on the will of God for our lives as follows. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Following the ministry of the word, let's sing in response Psalm 62, the stanzas 1, 6, and 7. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall not steal. That's the Eighth Commandment. It brings to mind such matters as property, possessions, and money. In the world, stealing is generally frowned upon. After all, doesn't stealing infringe on the rights of your neighbor? Scripture teaches us to look further than the neighbors around us. Remember, who gave us the commandment, you shall not steal? God did. And this commandment, therefore, has a vertical dimension. Stealing is not just a sin against your neighbor. It's a sin against God. And what does the Lord require of us? in regard to the material gifts he gives us. How does he want us to deal with them? Let's listen to what scripture says in this respect. The theme of the sermon is as follows. Trust in the Lord, not in earthly riches. Express this trust by how you obtain an income, and secondly, what you do with your income. Trust in the Lord, not in earthly riches. Express this trust by how you obtain an income and what you do with your income. The thing to remember, first of all, beloved, as we reflect on this eighth commandment is who owns, really, what we have, what's at our disposal. We read in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything in it and those that dwell therein. The Lord owns everything and everyone. He didn't find the earth in the universe and proclaim the right of possession the way explorers sometimes did centuries ago. Came to a certain territory, planted a flag there, and then claimed it. That's not the way the things, that things went with God. He made everything from nothing. And he continues to sustain everything in his providence. 
and he has every right to assert his ownership, to say, this is mine. The earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. And so do we. And this truth has an impact on our lives. Nothing that we see, no result of our efforts is our own in an absolute sense of the word. Any right of possession that we have is relative. All of our income is from him. We may save money, buy property, build or buy a house and other goods for ourselves, but in the deepest sense of the word, we are working with gifts from God. Without the strength and insight that our creator gives us, we wouldn't be able to obtain or possess anything not even life itself. This applies to everyone, whether they acknowledge God's existence or not. And keep this in mind in connection with the Eighth Commandment. The Lord is the creator and therefore the owner of everything. Sin against the Eighth Commandment begins where we don't acknowledge our God as the owner and giver of everything that we have. And the Lord has entrusted us with many things. And why? To enable us to serve him with them. And theft or fraud is therefore more than just something that takes place between two people. It's more than a violation of the laws of our country. It's a violation of God's law. He regulates how we deal with earthly possessions. And this applies whether they belong to us or to someone else. Theft or fraud is the misuse of what he gives us and is therefore a transgression against him. We must see the world around us in connection with our triune God. Just think of God the Father the Almighty, but see also the connection with the Son of God. In Hebrews 1, we read that God made the universe through him. And so everything that we have is also connected to the Son of God. The Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, says the author to the letter of the Hebrews, he upholds the universe by his word of power. We know the Son of God as Jesus Christ. When you look at the world around you, remember the, the power not only of the Father, but also of the Son. We depend on him for physical life and for all that we have. He sustains everything. The foundation for our existence, our work, and our future rests in him. And Psalm 104, verse 30, also reminds us of the role of the Holy Spirit in the creation and maintenance of living creatures on earth. It says, in praise of the greatness of the Lord, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. How many people in the world acknowledge the Lord God as the owner of all of creation? How many realize they are stewards of God's gifts, called to serve him with them? 
where nature has been polluted, the abuse of God's gifts has an impact on people now. Where resources have been squandered, man has stolen from the next generation. So we need to be careful not to be trapped, beloved, in the endless cycle of wanting more and more. Through Jesus Christ, we are children of our Heavenly Father. And this has consequences for how we view things like our daily food, drink, and clothing. Our Savior reminds us that our Father in Heaven knows we need these things. He takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He owns and sustains everything. We can therefore count on him to take care of us. Don't worry about such things. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our primary focus in life should therefore not be on things, or even on people around us. Trust in the Lord and put his kingdom first in your life. That's our task. If we do his will, we may also count on him to take care of our daily needs. God is a generous giver. He doesn't frown on his children when they rejoice in abundant blessings that he gives them. There's room for celebration in the Christian life. You can see that in Old Testament feasts. Our Savior also contributed to joy at a wedding feast in Cana, not only by his presence, but also by the gift of wine. So be thankful in times of prosperity, rejoicing in the Lord God as the giver of good gifts. And don't be afraid to celebrate from time to time. God usually provides for our needs through our daily work. But it might come in other ways. If your income isn't enough, do you have family members you can fall back on? If this isn't possible, what about the church? There's more than one way in which your needs can be taken care of. And when this happens, see the hand of your Heavenly Father in this. He gives you what you need. Use his gifts in his service. That's why he's taking care of you. By forbidding us to steal, God is teaching us to trust in him as our provider. If you obtain money or goods in an unlawful way, you're therefore doing two things wrong. First, you aren't being satisfied with what God has given you or can give you. You're stepping outside the ways in which God provides. Secondly, you're taking away something God has given to someone else. In other words, you're sinning against God, but you are making your neighbor suffer the consequences. God has given certain gifts to that person. And he has a reason for that. Don't take by theft or fraud, that means by cheating someone of something, what God in his wisdom has given to someone else. 
Violating the Eighth Commandment can also take other forms. Let's suppose you give generously of what you have to the Lord. That's a good way of acknowledging his goodness to you. But how do you look at the rest? Do you say, this is mine to do with as I please? That would be wrong. All that you have comes from the Lord. He has made you a steward of what he gives you. Ultimately, it's still all his. And that's why you must give account to him as to what you are doing with his gifts to you. Are you using them with a view to his kingdom and his righteousness? Our Lord Jesus Christ knew very well how difficult it can be to see yourself simply as a steward of what God gives you. It's so tempting to become attached to material possessions. Think of the passage we read from Luke 18. A ruler came to Jesus asking him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reminded him of God's commandments. And the ruler responded, All these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And that statement brought to light a fundamental flaw in the spiritual life of this ruler. We read that when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why was that, boys and girls? What made him so sad? It was because he was rich, extremely rich. And he didn't fully trust in God and believe that a treasure in heaven outweighs any earthly riches. His earthly treasures had become an idol for him that he couldn't part with. He didn't want to let that go. And could that happen to us as well? As people who live in Canada, we are among the richest in the world. We have homes to live in, vehicles to drive around in, and an abundance of food and drink. Do we realize how privileged we are compared to many people in other countries? The ruler became sad upon hearing the command to give his earthly treasures to the poor in order to follow Jesus. And after seeing this, our Lord commented how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason for such a shocking statement was that people who are wealthy are tempted to think that they are self-sufficient, that they can manage quite well on their own without God. They don't trust in him to provide for them. Why not? Because they have money and all kinds of possessions. Upon hearing what Jesus said, the disciples asked, then who can be saved? After all, to them, material prosperity should be regarded as a blessing of the Lord. And if someone who is blessed in this way can't be sure of salvation, then who can be sure of entering the kingdom of God? And the response Jesus gave points us to the grace of God. 
What is impossible with men is possible with God. So trust in the Lord, not in earthly riches. That's the bottom line. He provides for us, and only he can give us everlasting security. Express your trust by how you obtain an income. And don't deprive your neighbor of what is rightfully his. The Lord wants us to deal honestly with the people around us. There are many dishonest ways to get someone's goods or money. The Catechism mentions a whole list of things. One of them is defrauding your neighbor, cheating him, by show of right. In other words, it looks legal, but it stinks. The world may be willing to condone certain actions, and at times there are laws you can hide behind. You can sometimes make the law work for you to the disadvantage of others. You can get someone's goods or money without really earning them in one way or another. You have the law on your side, but here's the question to think about. Is God on your side too? That's the deepest question you must face now and on the day of judgment. Don't defraud your neighbor in any way. And the Catechism also warns us that God forbids all greed. And what's that? A dictionary definition of the term is an excessive desire for getting or having, especially wealth, desire for more than one needs or deserves. That's greed. The dictionary gives us a, a useful description there, don't you think? We can use it to discuss a few aspects of what greed involves. You can be greedy when it comes to obtaining wealth. Just think of 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The problem with loving money is that this is an unending love affair. Getting more money can become an all-consuming desire, an obsession. When do you have enough? It can get to the point that you don't really care if you have disadvantaged someone else to get ahead yourself. There's a saying, business is business. Is that supposed to mean it doesn't matter how you get ahead? How many unchristian actions have been covered up by such a slogan? Be good stewards of the gifts of God. This means you need to be careful what you do with your income. This brings us to our second point. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, urging them to be generous. He reminds them, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What are the riches Paul is talking about here? First of all, there's the forgiveness of sins. 
And this opens the way to everlasting life in fellowship with God. There are also material benefits. We have a Father in heaven who provides us with our daily needs. And God makes it possible for us to honor him by having shown us his love first. He has given us the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he continues to surround us with signs of his love from day to day. Are you healthy? Do you work hard? Was it really your own strength or God gifting you and working through you? Was your work successful? Isn't that a blessing from God? He gives us spiritual and material blessings. And how are you responding to what God gives you? Are you glorifying him as your father and your savior through Jesus Christ? That's a response of faith. It's a deed of love to God and to your neighbor. And how can we show love to God in our interaction with others? Obeying the Eighth Commandment is part of the picture. It involves much more than avoiding the sin of stealing. The Catechism shows us the flip side of God's intention by wording God's requirement as follows. I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. So here's a question for you to think about. Are you using the good gifts that the Lord gives you for the benefit of people around you? That requires trust in him. If we don't trust in him, we will tend to seek our security in earthly riches. And trying to do what benefits those around us is one of the ways in which we can express our faith. We aren't in this world to see what we can get out of life. We're here with a more exalted purpose. The Eighth Commandment reminds us of this. Remember to focus on God, first of all. And then keep your neighbor in mind. You may not have even directly defrauded him in any way, but have you withheld the help that the Lord wanted you to give him or her? Beloved, we're responsible for what we do with the gifts God gives us. What we do isn't a neutral matter. Ask yourself, how can I serve God and my neighbor in this world with the gifts he has given me? And this not only applies to our material possessions, it applies to whatever strength and talents the Lord has given us. Are you willing to trust in the Lord to guide you as you serve him? Who knows how greatly he can then use you to bless other people? You young people should think about this in connection with your choice of a vocation. Obviously, you shouldn't choose the life of a thief or a con artist. The Eighth Commandment rules that out. But aside from this, don't think that it's irrelevant what kind of occupation you choose. People have different gifts. Ask yourself how you can serve God and your neighbor best with the talents he has given you. So it's not just about 
Which job will get me the most money? Boys and girls, those of you who are, Lord willing, going to be graduating from grade 12 and you're facing future choices, career choices, or maybe further education, you might be thinking about these things, saying, now what kind of a job will get me the most money? It's not what it's about. What are your talents? How are you going to develop them? And how are you going to use them to glorify God, to serve your neighbor, and also to promote the cause of his kingdom and the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world? Can you stay focused on him and his kingdom in whatever occupation you choose? Or will the pursuit of earthly riches become your main goal in life? Questions like this should be foremost in your mind when you choose a career. How can you best serve the Lord and your neighbor with the talents that God has given you? That's a far more important question than, than which job will get me the best pay. Now, whatever work you finally end up with, be faithful in it. Your task in life is not in the first place to please men, but to please God. Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 17, and Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think of your daily work in that light. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that should help you keep the right perspective on your daily work. It should keep you going, even if you know that no one is checking up on you. If you're only out to please yourself, you're forgetting God and will also not be doing what you can for your neighbor. Devote your life to serving God. Don't lose yourself in the pursuit of earthly riches. The Bible doesn't say that you may not be wealthy. That's not the point. Material prosperity is one of the blessings God gives. But keep things in the right perspective by keeping God in the picture. In Psalm 112, we sing, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And the word translated as blessed could also be translated as happy, joyful. And what's the root of this joy? Not earthly possessions, but the Lord himself. And what is striking is the promise that the Lord takes care of those who fear him. Note the statement that wealth and riches are in his house. You can read that in Psalm 112, verse 3. And what does the righteous man do with the riches that the Lord gives him? <clears throat> the psalm goes on to say that he deals generously and lends. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. In other words, he uses the riches God gives him as a faithful steward. He doesn't bask in them and let his neighbors suffer. The man who fears the Lord sees the distress of others and does what he can to help them. If you have more than enough, 
Are you being a good steward of God's gifts? Or are you abusing his gifts, squandering your money? That means wasting it on things or activities that are basically a waste of time and a waste of the resources you have. Do you give willingly and generously to the church and to charitable causes in or outside church circles? Is this a priority for you? Or is it perhaps one of the last items on your budget? Or do you maybe give nothing at all, even though you have an income? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, the verses 6 to 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you trust in the Lord enough to honor him in your giving? It's a matter of trust. I'll repeat that question. Do you trust in the Lord enough to honor him in your giving? Don't be too quick to say, you can't give anything or hardly anything at all. Take a good look, not just at your income, but also at your expenses. Is there really nothing you could economize on or so, so that you have something to give to the Lord? Do you smoke? What does a package of cigarettes cost you? Do you regularly go somewhere for a quick bite to eat and a cup of coffee? All these things add up, don't they? Are you subtracting those costs from what you could give to the Lord? Or are you a cheerful giver when it comes to the church and to charitable causes? The Lord who showers gifts on you wants you to do the same for others. And giving to others doesn't necessarily involve giving them money. If you don't have a whole lot of money, think there could be other ways to help someone. To give an example, if someone is hungry... You could perhaps give them a fish, but after that, if they live near a lake or a sea, they may be better off with a fishing rod. In other words, helping people to work with the resources they have can be a very important next step in promoting their good. Perhaps you're in a position to devote time and energy to that. Such an investment could be more important than simply giving them money. Whatever you do, keep in mind that addressing the problem of poverty always involves more than just money. And that's why it shouldn't be important to you simply to be known as a generous person. Promoting your neighbor's good involves keeping in mind their relationship with God and others in the context of God's creation. We're all called to be stewards of God's gifts to the glory of his name and for the benefit of those around us. Your money, time, and energy is well spent if it is geared toward putting people in a position where they can serve God and their neighbors effectively. And God will bless you in that. 
You may not always be able to quantify the blessings you receive in dollars and cents. But he does promise that as you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And isn't that a beautiful promise? The benefits we receive are usually spiritual, not material. Giving should be a deed of faith. Give, knowing that you only give what you first received from God. It comes to you through Jesus Christ. Is there anything we really deserve? God has shown you what love is by sending his Son into this world as Savior. Christ gave himself willingly. And now we have daily reasons to be thankful. Let God's love fill you and be channeled to others. Let them share in the joy that you receive. Amen.